0: Oh I'm still reflecting genuinely on on what was kind of one of the most extraordinary finales to a stage I can ever remember, and I think it struck a lot of you like that as well and in particular for, we had two contributions yesterday after the stage in the early evening um one from uh, well from a couple of Twitter accounts which bear repeating they're kind of poetic well one's literally a poem and the other's just a sort of interesting poetic summation of uh, how the stage planned out, or panned out, sorry, not planned, don't know where that rogue L came into. Um, anyway, this one is from a an account called Arundo Donuts, that's Arundo Donuts, and this uh, sort of like semi-poetic summation goes like this, nothing happened, something happened. Nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. Something happened, something happened, something happened, someone won. Which is kind of like, I can't really pick fault with that because it seems to me to be pretty perfect. Then Andy Graves came up with um, a thread, actually, a two-tweet a two thread uh, that featured a poem that he'd written um, of four verses in total. And it goes like this. <clears throat> just clear my throat to give it the appropriate gravitas when Remco took a tumble caused by a Prozac dog he sat for a time conditioned to catalogue then in the final three went down again once more to find his ass in the drain drain organizers relieved that he's still competing seems none the worse for Pavement Meeting. If in this Giro he can still perform, all we be grateful, he kept his legs warm. <laughs> I like that a lot. Occasionally it just veers, it teeters on the brink of um, not working on any level at all. You know, syntactically, gra- grammatically, or or even kind of semantically, um, let alone poetically. But... I get the gist. I like it a great deal. And I'm just going to repeat this this second verse once again because I, I like it a lot. I also like the fact that you embraced the term Prozac dog. But the second verse here. <clears throat> then in the final three went down again once more to find his ass in the dren. <laughs> oh, Buonasera, signorina. Buonasera. It is time to say good morning to Napoli. Though it's hard for us to whisper, buonasera. With that old moon over the Mediterranean Sea in the morning, signorina, we'll go walking. When the mountains help the sun come into sight, and by the little jewelry shop, we'll stop and linger while I buy a wedding ring. For your finger, but do watch out for congestion on the Via Christopher Colombo, the Via uh, Suauro, the Via Patanope, and in particular the finish line of today's stage of the Giro d'Italia, the Via Antonio Faraccioli. I think. While we wait for that, though, in the meantime, here's Billy Bragg and a New England. Well, we've left the Hotel Tiempo on the outskirts of Naples, although Naples is just made up of outskirts. That's what it is. Um, it's our second consecutive visit to Naples in, 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 in um, conse- well consecutive years. And this time, of course, it's a little bit different, because just looking at the kind of 1970s apartment block ahead of us, every single, and there's lots of balconies, dozens of balconies, every single balcony, if it's not displaying uh, bedsheets, out in the, the sunshine this morning, and T-shirts drying. It's got it's got either an Italian flag or it's got the Napoli flag. That's yeah. actually that. hugely impressive. There's a little side street here um, that's just but it's got blue and white bunting and Napoli Campione d'Italia uh, banners hanging across it. I mean, it, the entire city is celebrating the victory of the football team in the Italian championships. First time in 33 years that Napoli. Back, you go back to the Maradona era. Actually, won the championship, and boy, does it mean a lot to this hard-pressed city. It's got a totally unique atmosphere, hasn't it, Naples?
1: Yeah, it's it's very industrial. It's quite you know it's run down in places. I, I, I think we talked about it last year, didn't we? It's it's got an edge to it. It's got an edge to it. It's it's a different feel. Uh, it's it's intriguing. It's kind of rough guide, isn't it? And uh, kind of territory. There's a there's the, 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 um A fort at the top of the hill in in front as well. It's a mixture of everything. I'm just looking across. I can see some big cruise ships, uh, containers. um, Driving in Naples, I I went for a short ride this morning, um, and I came back in 20 minutes because I was what exactly fearing for my life. It was just a little bit dangerous, and it's not necessarily the place to go for a to go training.
0: Let's put it that way. But it it is its it's its own thing, uh, and it's just a melting pot, isn't it? You had another encounter, yet another encounter, with um, some canine accompaniment, accompan- you had some canine accompaniment. Well I'd been back and two
1: down this same bit of road, um, 800 metres long, just doing laps or, or lengths. Then I saw a little side street that looked quite quiet, so I went up this side street which opened out into quite a long quiet road, um, still a bit, a, bit, a bit dirty and there was a, like, there was a, a kind of a, de- a derelict car, and then up ahead! couple hundred meters i saw three dogs just lying down uh, just like three three rogue dogs uh, uh, clearly of the same little pack and i thought hmm, okay but they didn't immediately sort of look at me and it's quite a wide road so i drifted off to the left and was readying myself to accelerate and yes then they they went for me all three of them <laughs> one one directly behind one to my right and one to my left and they're yapping away going for my legs and uh so it was quite stressful actually and then i then I, didn't I got to the end of this road and couldn't double back. I had to pick my way back another route because I was too fearful to go back the yep. same way that yeah. uh, from the, the, what the dog attack was. So, yeah, yeah it's been a... And then um, I got back to the car park of our hotel and Ivan Basso wanted to borrow my Brompton to go and take a photo at the Maradona mural. What
0: a morning. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a dream, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then I woke up. Because uh, Ivan Basso wanted to borrow my folding bike to go and have a look at Maradona's mural. Yeah, it, yeah, it actually it, happened to you in, actually actually in hap- actual life. It actually happened, and they were very grateful uh, when, when they gave the bike back. Uh, and it was in one piece and uh, no punctures, so fair, fair play. I should explain that Ivan Basso was not in the same hotel as us, but there were, there were two teams, and we shared a hotel car park. With it. They had a four-star hotel, we had a three-star hotel. Israel Premier Tech and Ayolo Cometa were in, in our adjacent car park, so we parked up right next to them. And briefly, we thought Matt and I that we were going to be in the same hotel as Vincenzo Albanese, which would have been would have been amazing, wouldn't it? We we would we'd agreed that we don't normally do selfies, but uh, we
1: were going to do one with him, weren't we?
0: We were going to make an exception. Yeah, but it wasn't to be because we were in the slightly. Downgraded accommodation vis-à-vis the well, quite rightly actually, they are racing the Giro d'Italia, and we're only talking about the racing of the Giro d'Italia. And it's only one, there's only one star separating us, isn't there? Um, but we shared the same car park, which was nice. Yeah, and the reason for that is normally we stay at the finish line. Well, we are, we stay close to the finish line, but the start and finish line is the same place today um, because it's a Napoli to Napoli situation. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a Liege best on Liege. It's a one, it's a one-day race within a. And you mentioned it in commentary quite rightly yesterday when you do get these. You don't get them very often, if ever, on the Tour de France, but last year in Naples it was the same thing, wasn't it, a different course, but started and finished in Naples. And it feels different from a normal stage, for some strange reason. Yeah,
1: it does, I'm just, I am just don't want to run over this chap who's trying to wipe our windscreen, but no, um, it does. It it feels like a, a one day race, like a classic, like a mini world championships. Last year's circuit well, was several laps, a great, really challenging circuit. This one's got two big climbs on, they like go the other side of Vesuvius, but essentially it's one big lap starting and finishing within, I think, five, six hundred metres. So it's going to have a different feel. And already, although I haven't actually seen the start,
0: in my mind, in my mind, it's going, to, it's going to be raced like a one-day, and I think it could be a day for the break. Yeah, I do as well. There's no logic to that, but I, it just feels—it <laughs> it feels like that. Um, a little bit of housekeeping, business, podcast-wise. Um, gross geological errors on both our parts yesterday. All oh, right, well, well, v- Vesuvius—is is it not Vesuvius? Uh, it's actually due an eruption. It's an active volcano that last erupted, I think, in the 1940s. So we're due one. We're overdue a, a, a major eruption of Vesuvius. That's so far from being dormant or extinct. It's properly bubbly. That's quite concerning, isn't it? Um, Sorry. Right, apa- well, <laughs> well, apparently there's apparently there's a uh, there's a plan in place to evacuate 500,000 people from this area. You know, is that so what all those
1: ships are doing? Like, lined up, they're just going to well, just sail us out into the uh, Adriatic. Yeah, that's exactly
0: the plan. Yeah, no, exactly Tyrrhenian Sea. Sorry, Another error. No, the other side. Right, I'm to the PPO now. they have got a focus now, mate. Right, okay. There's that. And also, I spent a large part of this morning, actually, 10, 15 minutes. I downloaded the UCI regulations for the govern road racing in all its forms. As Matt concentrates incredibly hard, to be careful because this is the start. We don't. We, yeah. Finish. Okay. This is this is really complicated here, and it's it's complicated, and it's complicated in Naples, which adds a Naples, <laughs>
1: Naples is already one of the most complicated even, cities on
0: earth. Even when you're not looking for the PPO. Um, um, I, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I better just stick with doing. Yeah. Yeah. Ones. You do, do, do that. Um, so I looked at the. Uh, I mean, if we just follow the race route, yeah, Dan. You know, three kilometres right. to go. I just think. do that. And there's a look. There's a sign for finish. Yeah. Nice. Good. Um, and I was just double checking what I thought I knew, which was, um, which was oh, with the wrong side of a barrier. That's annoying, isn't it? Anyway, we'll find it. Um, there is a rule governing the, 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 the uh, crossing the finishing line without your bicycle. You have to cross the finish line with your bicycle. Otherwise, uh, you can be subject to uh, sanction. Uh, it's either a 500 Swiss franc fine, disqualification, or elimination from the race. So um, I'm sure that wouldn't have been applied in the case of Mark Cavendish had he let go of his handlebar. I think the commissaires might have uh, shown a bit of leniency. Yet, nonetheless, it would have technically been an infringement of the rules of road racing. I remember this. I remember walking down this tunnel last year. On yeah. my because I, I walked to the finish line from my hotel. And it took me about two hours. It was. I'd say. L- oh, hold on a minute. Yeah, I yeah, need you, to... Yeah. Okay. Just I'm just gonna. I'm gonna let Matt concentrate now. Be, yeah. 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 Matt's veering.
1: Caravan, a squadra teams, yeah, lots of signage. left, yeah,
0: so I go round there. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Sun's out though. The, rain, the much nicer uh, weather than uh, yesterday. It's lovely. I'm looking forward to today. Just Coming because the start is close to the finish. We're just passing all the stationary vehicles of the publicity caravan. I mean, it's hours before they're actually. It must be an hour before they're going to set off. At Two least. Hours. And oh no, an hour and a half. And they're just torturing themselves by, listen. Oh, that's, that's they, all day, every day, they're faced with this. And they're just like, they're not actually starting yet. And they're just cranking their amplifiers. That was a big Dole banana float thing, wasn't it? It had a massive, great big carbon fibre banana on the top of it. And it was blasting out that music. Broadcaster, right, there we go. Uh, and yeah, it was. Craziness, that's absolute craziness. Um, but this, this feels... Huge, actually, in Napoli. The Giro in town. That's this true. is a big occasion. It's great. Left here, I think, that. Big. We're going to go left, just underneath Board the Borgo Caster. San Lucia. And Matt is all over this. I mean, this is grand tour experience, writ large. Matt's nailing every decision he's made so far. Has been perfect. I mean, flawless. You know, great tactical awareness. Normally there's been several U-turns already, isn't there? Yes. Um, um, so it tends to get I remember I exit from Napoli last year, got a bit James Bond. It was a little bit a little bit fraught, a little bit tense, but very yeah, very James Bond in fact. I think we, did we
1: live pod that? I think we did, think yeah. We yeah. So please yeah. Sort of flick back through your Never Stray's
0: Far's, and you'll find it. Well I think it was on your podcast. <laughs> was it on it? my podcast? Oh <laughs> <I was, laughs> yeah. Oh look at one of my it's podcasts. It's quite similar to this one. <laughs> Just seen the most fashionable old chap I think I've ever seen. Sartorial elegance in his 80s. He was wearing a velvet. That kind of long, waist, long morning coat. I think you describe it. Yeah. He had a silk uh, kerchief in his in his pocket. He was wearing some sort of decorative shirt and had atop his head what looked like a kind of short, stubby top hat. Um, and he's just walking through the streets of Naples. And we gave him a little, you know, just acknowledged yeah. his uh, sartorial. Yeah, yeah, we gave him a thumbs up, and I think he appreciated it. That, just, it's a sensory overload. It really is Naples as we rumble over some cobbles now we're not far from where we're going to park up everywhere you look something mad is happening we stopped at some traffic lights uh, just five minutes ago um and w- one of these hard-pressed s- street hawkers i suppose for want of a better word but selling stuff on the on the uh, traffic lights he had a bundle of um packets of tissue paper that he was trying to offload and sell and he saw our sticker and he had a bit of fun with us and he he just, th- he just threw some tissues at our car and they kind of bounced off the windscreen. But he's just having a laugh. <laughs> he did smile and just said Giro d'Italia, didn't he? Giro d'Italia. That's just. <laughs> that's I think we just pulled in somewhere, uh, Ned, to be honest with
1: you, cause yeah. that, it's just, and there's no signs. That was a taxi rank. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I was just a busy podcast. I'm of
0: no help to you whatsoever, am I? Mm-hmm, yeah. We're lost. Mm-hmm. We're now lost. Well, I've just stepped away from <coughs> the finish line, <coughs> excuse me, having done my prep. Uh, it's right on the, uh, right the seafront in, in, in Napoli and I've just crossed the old zoological gardens and uh, crossed another main road just to get away from the traffic actually, which is kind of incessant. And I find myself in a, a little alleyway, uh, a t- typical alleyway of which there are hundreds and hundreds in Naples, there are either side of me five six six story old tenement buildings, some of which look ancient i mean, 'm just passing a doorway that must be must be early nineteenth century, if not older, and all the flats, all the apartments have got tiny balconies, as I say before washing hanging out to dry. but the efforts, the spontaneous show of uh, delight and pride in the performance of the football team i 've never seen anything like it, blue and white plastic taping is just kind of crisscross lattice style across the entire height and width of this of this alleyway of this little street this little cobbled street and everyone who's got a flag or anything blue or white is 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 hanging it out and it's all catching in really quite a stiff breeze today I've seen you know passion for a football club I worked in in football for well, decades actually but I've never ever seen anything like this I always knew Napoli was special, I remember coming here when I was doing uh, Champions League football back in the ITV Sport days, I think I came here with Liverpool at least, and maybe Arsenal, maybe not, I can't remember, but a couple of visits here, and I remember being kind of blown away by the noise inside their crumbling old stadium, the Diego Maradona Stadium, Um, but now they've finally achieved this victory for the first time in 33 years, the kind of outpouring is <clears throat> genuinely, and this is often said in, in, in football and not often said genuinely, I don't think, but this is genuinely akin to a religious experience. It's, c- it's quite extraordinary. Um, and I've just turned around and now it's heading down an even quieter a little. It's just endless, endlessly the same thing over and over and over again. Amazing. And I have to say, only only football of all the sports can elicit this kind of spontaneous response. Wow. Well, this is really surprising. So I think the district I've been wandering around is quite a historical. A um, little bit, I suppose a little bit touristy. Uh, but not, not particularly. I mean, it's also people who live there and, you know, very local and... I'm pretty much the only tourist I've seen, if I, you can call me a tourist, accidental tourist. Um, I think it's called uh, Kiaya. That may be a mispronunciation for which I apologise. But, but yeah, so all these little alleyways, little tiny independent shops, you know, and, and occasionally you turn a corner and enter a huge wooden doorway and into uh, the kind of mysterious gloom of these rather beautiful baroque churches that kind of absolutely proliferate around this quarter as well and then but suddenly i turn turn the corner i've just picked up a salad for lunch that i'm going to go and take back to the finish line turn a corner and the totally unfamiliar bit of architecture ecclesiastical architecture because what i'm looking at effectively looks like a village church in wiltshire or something just looks totally different uh from anything around it and then i go a little bit closer and I find out that it is a Church of England church, which is uh, really surprising. Christ Church Naples um, has on Sundays at 10.30, has mass in English. And there you go, yeah. It says, there's a plaque on the outside of it as well. It says, in grateful memory of Giuseppe Garibaldi, who on October the 23rd, 1860, in the name of the Italian nation, gave the British community the land for this church dedicated to our Lord Jesus Christ well I never well, I've been walking for quite some time but I've made it back to the finish line because it's not long before we go on air um, just to give you a sense of what I'm looking at there's a, a line of uh, massive boulders that have been placed there as a breakwater in front of me uh, and someone has daubed in huge letters the words in English still alive with an exclamation mark I don't know why uh, that's appeared there. Behind the breakwater out in the Bay of Naples, a colossal warship has appeared, and I think it might be American. I seem to remember that last time we were here, there was an, a huge American aircraft carrier in the Bay of Naples. Can't quite see the, the flag that's fluttering from the back. I oh, know, no, it's an Italian warship. And uh, far, far beyond that, and heading towards the horizon, an, an enormous ferry is uh, heading out into the ocean of the sea. And uh And just on the finish line, um, one or two really hardy spectators have suddenly appeared. um, And some Jehovah's Witnesses who set up their little stand with their leaflets as well. A little while to go then before the race gets underway. And before it does, uh, I got another update from Charlie Quarterman last night who uh, had a bird's eye view at least of some of the incidents and that rain-affected crash-strewn run into the finish line yesterday.
2: Ciao. Again, it's me. Just checking in after another stressful, relatively long day on these roads that were really, really slippery. I guess everyone saw the uh, all the crashes in the last few kilometers and honestly, it was pretty crazy. Even, I, I was just behind the first one at 7K to go um, and getting out, having walked through the, the mess, the pilot bikes, um, I got out of the saddle to accelerate and even then my wheel was spinning because there was no really no grip on the roads, but, yeah it's like peddling on on an ice rink really uh anyway, enough about cycling um I'll just say yeah now again getting, getting into the rhythm now i am I'm, I'm losing track a little bit of the days i think I think today was stage five, but I wouldn't know that if it if it didn't say that on the uh, little profile we get stuck on amber bars every day um feels like it's been about a week, maybe a week and a half already, but yeah, in the rhythm. Yeah. For for days going fast, but even just forgetting to do things, whether that's uh, changing clothes, I I'm not sure, but I think I've been in the same set of clothes for quite a long time now. Uh, good job, we got given some clothes at the presentation as the uh, as the prize for starting the Giro. And uh, yeah, but also changing hotel. It's been a funny one seeing the different styles of hotels, and actually the 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 people working um it's quite a funny thing that you guys have also been experiencing i imagine, which is in some of these hotels they take the uh the dress code very seriously so uh all the all the waiters and kind of um yeah the people that welcome you in the the cooks the chefs they uh they have a certain uniform they they're fully dressed in white but it looks very very smart but in kind of a uh a nineteen fifties way and I feel a little bit guilty turning up in a tracksuit and, and uh, using, using the moment while we're waiting for the food to uh, catch up on messages and, and do things I haven't done otherwise but yeah, it feels a little bit like being in a film sometimes. <laughs> just a shame I can't understand whatever, the, whatever they're saying. I just uh, give a little congrats yeah, when, they, uh, when they give me the food. But yeah, surviving. Surviving just Ah oh, no, wait, no. It's still like two and a half weeks to go. Uh, Well, we've started anyway. (laughs) Ciao.
0: Hello, good afternoon, welcome to Napoli. Naples could justifiably stake a claim to being the centre of Italy's sporting universe in May. First came the Serie A title for their football club, a first in 33 years, and just a few short days later... The Giro d'Italia visits with a start and finish in the city. The riders set off around Mount Vesuvius and it could be a day for a breakaway to stay clear. Run to Marquis! De Marchi hits the front now. Clark on the wheel, gambling that he can get there. Simone Consoni opens up his sprint. Fernando Gaviria, they sweep past them. It's heartbreak at the end. as Consoni is on the wheel of Gaviria. Gaviria pushing for the line. Fiorelli in the mix too. Here comes Jonathan Milan. Milan down the middle. Amalia the Ciclamina. Pedersen, Pedersen, Pedersen all the way. Pedersen takes the win. And tricks and Fredo pull off the gamble of the Giro. Unbelievable, heartbreaking, heartbreaking for Simon Clark and Alessandro De Marquis who drift across the line, stunned at what has just occurred. But Maz Pedersen kept his nerve. Trek Segafredo did the lion's share of work to bring that back and they got it right with the finest of margins imaginable. What a... Bike race. <coughs> sorry, that was really unpleasant. We're upsetting people by crisp munching, and that, I'm, I'm people will have been upset by that. I'm sorry, but it was it was necessary in order for, in, in order for me to speak. Well,
1: that's the thing about podding, isn't it? And doing what we're doing, we're we're this isn't this isn't a sterile environment. This is live, and, and we're driving. We're now um, one hour seventeen away from our hotel, that will lead us into the first big mountain rendezvous, at Grand Sasso. But just to yeah, what a stage that was. I mean, it looked as if for a while it was going to be a little bit
0: formulaic, didn't it? But it didn't end up that way at all. Uh, no, no. And uh, yeah, it, mostly due to the wind. And, and also, but the way it's raced, it was super smart at, at the front of the race. And um, well, you identified the five riders got, oh, by the way, hat tip to young Alessandro Verri of Archaea Samsic, who for the second time, but this time unsuccessfully, got caught in a chasse patate, didn't he?
1: It was one of the. It was an enormous Shaspatap, wasn't it? Uh, I don't think I've seen such a Shaspatap for quite a while, um, yeah. and and he he persevered, didn't he? And yeah, I've really felt for him, but the, it just went A little bit too late, and this time the group were motoring, weren't they? They were shifting De market, Alessandro de Marque, in particular, and uh, and our mate, the po- uh, podman, not our mate, your mate, well,
0: everybody's mate. Well, he's well, mate to a lot of people, I guess, Charlie Quartermain. Yeah, well, can I pull you up on his pronunciation? Is yes. that I should have done it during because I think you must have mispronounced his name upward of I'm, I'm gonna guess without flicking back through the tape and like <laughs> watching it all again. <laughs> oh, no. I, pr- I. It must have it's been, been Quarterman. yeah, Quarterman. Okay. So am I saying mate? Am I adding an I? I have to. I had to double check. Quartermain sounds sounds more, more likely, doesn't it? Somehow, but it's actually Charlie Quarterman Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Yes. Well, that won't happen again, Charlie. If you're listening, and I do believe you do listen. Yeah. Um, firstly, sorry, and secondly, well done, mate. That was a a, a good ride, a solid solid ride, and um, you happened to be in a break with a couple of rather big hitters. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. It was really impressive. And it's consistently easy, I think, for people like me, not so much you because you've ridden the bike professionally, but people like me and I'm sure lots and lots of our podcast listeners to underestimate how hard it is to get a breakaway at the Giro d'Italia. You only need to look at Alessandro Verri's experience today and you go, you know, it looks straightforward from the outside, doesn't it? Why did you leave it so late, mate? Well, in order to get... I mean, to get to the front, to be in a position to attack off the front, you take some doing in the first place, and then you've got to attack. Of course, he's, you know it's really easy to miss time that, isn't it? And oh, Charlie just, yeah, just read the move perfectly. Went with the hitters, that you know, went with the right riders, didn't he? Because um, Demarkey attacked first, didn't he? And he
1: was, yes, he did. Yeah, he did.
0: He was off the front, kind of. Like, He got a a bit of a gap, then he eased up a bit because he knew he didn't want to go alone. So he's kind of like tempting, goading, waiting, just waiting to see which group of riders would come across. Then someone clipped across, I can't remember who it was. And then Charlie came across with um, Clark and uh, Gavazzi came across first. And then Charlie came across with the the lad from Cofidis, De Lettre, Alexandre De Lettre and uh, Simon Clark. So, you know, that's just smart of Charlie, isn't it? To go, oh, Clark hitter like go go with him oh totally when you, when you look at the other uh, how many times it, like Magnus Court attack Stefan Kung
1: there's some riders from big teams not just riders seeking an opportunity but big hitters trying to get in the move and, and they didn't so it's a, it's a really really good point but just the way it then played out and and <laughs> The interesting thing for me, the pivotal point which I think has illustrated how nervous this race has been, and how it's twitchy. twitchy, is the fact that luckily they had a dry day, not a spot of rain. Gorgeous day down the Coast, stunning. There was
0: literally two spots. Do you remember on the lens they were. as they first went up that climb, as, as Remco said might happen, they're going to the cloud, but it was just that, wasn't it? And, and actually, it's slightly damp descent, wasn't it? Actually, yeah, actually, it was
1: very wet the descent, and that's when. <laughs> so yeah. It, so I take that back. Um, I've got a very short mem- memory, quite clearly. But Ineos Grenadiers took it up. It looked like it was going to be... Well, it was a day for the sprinters, but there were, alas, a few that were that were dropped, Mark Cavendish being one of them, who had a... As well as crashing yesterday, we understand it. We'd, it's off the TV cameras, but crashed some later on in the chasing group, but I don't know any more details on that, apart from he got blown off his bike by a gust of wind, apparently, but let's hope he's okay. But, uh, yeah, then they, they rode it over the top, and it was just for position, because it was a, it was a beautiful but super technical descent.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, but and that's unfortunate. God, beyond unfortunate for for Cavendish. He wasn't the only big-name rider to go down twice in consecutive days, because we understand, or we think, or we can only surmise that Roglic... I must have gone down as well because he was on the run. In the cameras noticed that he needed a bike change. So a bike change, yeah, it was a bike change. Was, yeah. So at first we thought, oh, he just needs a bike change. But then you noticed that he got he had a rip in his um, shorts, which can only have come from a crash. So at some point Roglic has gone down as well, yeah. and, and he did yesterday as well. So oh. it was a,
1: a frenetic finale, wasn't it? And it, again, it was just those uh, the outskirts. It wasn't even out. It was going past like. Uh, Pompeii and round there, those—I mean—the streets were packed with people, weren't they? Again, we had that beautiful mix of, of the the blue balloons of uh, the Giro d'Italia, the blue balloons, the pink balloons of the Giro d'Italia, and of course the, the, uh, the celebrations, the aftermath of the of the win of of Napoli, still enormously present, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Oh, actually, no, enormously present. Um, it's happening here. We're actually traveling, we're a long way from Napoli now, yet Ned is sporting a rather large, ever so slightly oversized t-shirt. Uh, with Napoli, what's the number on, the, on, the, on it? Three. Three? Yeah,
0: the three it's the third, third Scudetto, isn't it? Of course, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And where did you buy that from? Because you, actually, Ned doesn't normally call me. And uh, we, we arrived in exceptionally good time today. Well, we had a long walk to, the, to, the, to our booth, best part of K, a K and a half. Then we had two hours. Did I prep? I went off on my Brompton. Ned walked off, and then I got this call about three quarters an hour later. It's like, <laughs> it like, I was like "You're right." Ned I said, "Yeah, mate." Said, "I've I've got a bit waylaid. What, <laughs> what
0: times? What times the start?" <laughs> I think I'm, I don't, uh, you, just explain that because you went you went off one of your famous wonders didn't you? Yeah. Well, uh, you will have heard a, a couple of clips of me wandering around, you know, um, and and just I was I was beguiled by Napoli's celebration of the football team thing. I you know, I've never seen I. Worked in football for a long time, Matt, and I've never seen anything like that. It's, Yeah, it was extraordinary. That will live with me for a long time. And I thought, just on my way back, and I stopped, I had a coffee, I visited a couple of churches, I went to a lovely delicatessen where they served all sorts of nonsense. And I was actually, do you know what? I went in to buy a jar of vongole, which is actually what I was after. I thought, I'll just take some of those into into commentary like I did yesterday, uh, where I actually ate... Yeah, live live on, on on the telly, but hopefully inaudibly. I ate an entire jar of cla- of cockles with a little plastic fork.
1: It was impressive. Is Um anybody? I know we've got a lot of British listeners, but Prince's fish paste, the, the, the large jar uh, or or beef spread. It was that size jar, wasn't yeah. it? Do you know the kind of size of jar with with an exactly the same uh, size metal. Or type of metal screw top lid, and yeah. Ned was there, and I was looking, and it was. I mean, they're not for everybody, but they were, they were room temperature cockles, weren't they? Uh, but you feasted upon them, and, I didn't, and you finished the lot. And but but you're, you're very
0: good at miking off and on in between each cockle. Yeah. Well, I, I was actually really pleased that I was I was. I was well, if this is a contradiction in terms, spooning them into my mouth with a fork, <laughs> because actually, although normally you'd think probably a spoon would be best to fish them, but actually, they'd, I think if you spoon them out, you'd take too much of the of the um, of the juice, and actually, the fork was naturally sieving the cockles as I as I transferred them from the, the jar to my mouth. Um, so that was a, that was that, w- wonderfully descriptive, Ned. Thank you. <laughs> that had been that had, ah, we're passing now from Lazio into Abruzzo, so we're back where we began.
1: We are. We've done a. We've basically done a, uh, a horseshoe, haven't we? We've gone down yeah. the east of the east coast, looped back round to the most southerly point, back up, and now we're back in Abruzzo. So uh, yeah, we've. Uh, it's kind of north now, and then west, down a bit, loops around a bit, west again, no
0: east again, and then back to Rome. Yeah, and we're surrounded by the sun's just beginning to go down. are not too long before dusk. A um, few isolated little clouds that are just beginning to kind of glow golden at the fringes, and just now actually a shaft of sort of godlike uh, light just uh, just emerged from in between two of these wooded hillsides. And it's um, Abruzzo's big. It's big country. It's it's hills that make you, especially at this time of night, a little bit scared because there's bears, there's bears and probably boars.
1: But it does. Again, this is the sort of territory that makes you feel a little bit insignificant and you can really sense your kind of own mortality when you're in terrain like this. I felt that. I remember the first time I ever ca- caught sight of the Alps and the Dolomites as a kid uh, and I was just absolutely blown away. But there was a, yeah, that shaft of light, it was it almost came perpendicular, didn't it? It was quite unusual.
0: Well, it was like your, do you remember the stair rods discussion? You you said well, horizontal stair rods, the, the idea of horizontal rain with clouds just firing rain horizontal. horizontally from the side well that's firing light from the side it was, wasn't it it was just there. It, it, it was so we've gone off yeah so back to the finish No, well oh no I haven't completed my delicatessen.
1: please I didn't
0: really sorry no, sorry Ned no, fine carry on a little few bases to touch still before we get back into the commentary yes. um couldn't find a jar of cockles but found they had a little counter they had a big cheese and ham sort of thing and I said I don't want the as nice as Italian cheese and ham is, I don't want a cheese and ham sandwich. And then I found they, there's a little counter just tucked away where um, a lady was behind. She had little tubs of uh, fresh, freshly assembled salads and things like that. And one of them was poached, little flakes of poached salmon in a, in a kind of um, a top. Basically a kind of, almost like, a, I suppose if it was French you'd call it a ratatouille. Or what's that... A Sicilian specialty kind of version of ratatouille, cap- caponata, is it? Oh, cap- caponata. No, cap-, cap, I think it's something we're going to see. Anyway, um, it was it was aubergine and pepper and all that kind of thing, vegetables. All beautiful. sound lovely. And and I bought a tub of that and I sat in the sun and um, ate that. And then I was filled at this point with such a feeling of well-being that I was beginning to lose track of time, and my excitement at discovering a different side of Napoli. Actually, because I, as I think you might have picked up on earlier. You've been listening to this attentively. I have a slight, <laughs> slight wariness of Napoli, but this was great. And on my way back in the rough direction, I thought of the finish line, I stopped at a souvenir shop and I was just overcome when I saw a, a, a t shirt celebrating. It's not a particularly attractive t shirt, but I thought I'm gonna have a piece of that. So I went to say, Quanto? and he said, dieci. And I went, There's a bargain, 10 euros, blimey. Yeah, so I bought that. But what I hadn't appreciated is quite how big
1: it would be. It's quite, I think it's fair to say, looking at it now, it's quite roomy. It's
0: a bit roomy. Um, froomy, froomy roomy. Froomy elbows, Charlie Quarterman.
1: Yes, I'm gonna say Charlie Quarterman. There you go, I think, I've, I think I've pronounced it right. Yes, sorry Charlie, blimey, I mean that's bad I think, because my eyesight's that poor, I think I've been reading your name since you've been a pro with an I, and there's not been one there. I think the N at the end of your name uh, because of my, my I video.
0: I love the way you're talking directly to Charlie. Sorry, Charlie, I mean, everybody
1: else as well. But it, it <laughs> when, when your eyesight's not that good, um, each of the letters is like slightly double vision. And I think there's an, ex, there's a, there's an extra
0: left leg of the N, which is an I. And I've, that's why I've gone for main. So, what do you mean? I, I think it's just you're interpreting that in. That's what you want to see, it's what you expect yeah. to see. Oh, no. So you kind of see it in. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. my eyesight's bad. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, you just explained it um yeah so through me elbows. um that was Charlie's own description of how to identify him and it's very, oh, useful. very useful
1: initially because he was because Charlie was right on the the front of the grid wasn't he as yeah. they it's an extraordinarily long neutral zone Now that's a, maybe a separate section of the pod uh, we might start a committee to try and shorten these neutral zones there's 9.5 Ks today and then went on for about another 3k because several riders had mechanicals etc but um, Charlie was on the the f- f- front or second row behind the uh the the, the lead car and i thought well, he described as me elbows, but they weren't really present but then later when he was on the offensive they started to sort of edge out ever so slightly when he was a bit when he was under pressure
0: the elbows just started to emerge didn't they yeah it's interesting how you switched you're no longer talking directly to him you're talking about him in the third yeah. person now that you're yeah just sort of analyzing your race charlie Oh, I'm confused now. Who are we talking to? <laughs> um, anyway. Sorry about the tenses issue here. Um, yeah. So, Ineos got on the front, on the climb, just to be Ineos. I mean, they are so strong, aren't they? Like, look good. They do look good. And they just, they're doing their own thing. And you accurately said, well, this is just them controlling their variables. And the, the rest of the race can go to hell. So, they're just doing what they feel is right. And But the collateral of what they did on the front just popped pop their old teammate, Mark Cavendish, out the back, didn't it?
1: But yeah, and uh, and they just kept going. I mean, it was a uh, Lawrence De Ploos was looks good, doesn't he? Pretty much rode the the, the top. Then Pavel Sivakov expertly rode the descent, um, and then there was a couple of other teams that started to get involved in the action on the next climb. UAE Team Emirates as well, right near the front, weren't they? Pressing on a little bit, so that was quite interesting because they've had a torrid few days. We forgot to mention, um, I think a Jay Vine lost time on yesterday's stage as we'd record this. Um, was caught behind one of the crashes, so. Uh, yeah, so yesterday, stage, as we record this, that would have been stage five, wouldn't it, the j So, But then but then it became, a lot of teams were burning through their resources. It was a tailwind finish, yeah. save for the last couple of kilometres, as they went round a mini peninsula and came and swung into the bay in Napoli, where they picked up a headwind. Um, but it did, there was a, a heck of a fight by De Marchi, um out in front, wasn't it, with uh, with Clarkey.
0: Yeah, former teammates. Yes, last year. Um, and 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 although they're very different riders, they're quite similar as well in the sense that that that's what they do. That, both of them, that's what they do. Um is very much a stage racer, a breakaway specialist, isn't he? Unless um, kind of um, he hasn't quite got this one-day racing. Thing. Not quite as punchy, is he? No. And Simon Clark of course, is a great, very good classic specialist as well, kind of one-day racer. Um, just going to try and t- no, I'm not. Um, uh, I'm driving by the way, and I thought I could, I thought I could overtake this big truck in front, but I instantly thought
1: drive to arrive we've got a little saying in the car which has evolved from various other sayings what one as we're saying in the police when we we're training with driving is like drive to arrive then you've added to that haven't you but Do you want to just flesh that out because
0: it's quite it's quite um, I quite like it it's one of the tenets of um, of what we do isn't it drive to arrive alive survive and thrive it's, if anyone else can embellish that with another I've yeah. um, then
1: feel free I think that's pretty when I mean we we had quite a few the first time we sort of ran through i think that's the best version yeah. i not think it'd be hard to best it to be perfectly honest with you but then Kate okay, there was teams but trek segafredo let's be like um they rode they invested very similarly to the way that jaco lula rode the other day when michael matthews pulled off the win so there's a lot of pressure on pedersen to deliver it's been consistent but hasn't quite finished it off but he did a phenomenal sprint gaviria went super long but you have to. I mean, they deserved that one, didn't they? They rode to a man, and, and it was an interesting interview, wasn't it, from from Mads at the end, saying we had to use everybody. We we don't wouldn't normally use that many resources because a lot of teams had riders
0: dropped, and clearly there was a lot of riders just hanging on and just couldn't, couldn't contribute. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was right in the balance, wasn't it? It was really yeah. too close to call. Cool. Um, but you're right. Trek Segafredo deserved that victory for that alone. I, I thought I thought the two trains actually. Tesfayi on a hell of a ride. Every time he got on the front, with about 15k, 10, that ran about then, wasn't it? 15-10k. Every time he got on the front, he made a, an enormous difference. Um, and then, you know, much heavier, bigger, more experienced riders than Tesfayi on. I think Yasha Zutelin. There's something not quite right with him today. And he kind of couldn't have an, He didn't have an impact for Bahrain. Uh, victorious at all, really. So uh, I was really impressed with Test Another great day for uh, Emmanuel uh, Gabriel Jabier. I think those two riders have been outstanding for Mats Pedersen.
1: They, they, they've been uh, they've been the proper engine room with Trek Segafredo. I know, mm-hmm. um, and of course, it, some good stage placings as well, Tom Scoins and the mix. But it was the two hour trains I, I think were the men of the match, really. For Trek-Segafredo, and then Baukommolima did just Baukommolima the yeah, last 5k, Mollema, didn't he? And then Mollema. actually, when Molima was on the front, and, you know, bear in mind, he's not the sort of rider you think would make a difference on the flat like that, but he oh, is the TT, so he's the TT champion of the Netherlands. And the heli shot um, when it pulled away, and Molima was on the front, it was, there was gaps everywhere. He was, and uh, in the end, they they did ultimately pull them back. I think it was with 800 meters to go. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was palpable, wasn't it? I thought, oh, are they going to hold on? Are they not going to hold on? And then the moment when it ended was when Simon Clark swung across the road with 800 metres to go, roughly, yeah. looked for a, a turn uh, from DeMarkey and he just shook his head. And then that was it. They just lost that momentum, didn't
0: they? Yeah, and arguably, if DeMarkey had just gone through one more time, he would have taken them that bit closer to the line before the catch. Still think they would have been caught just but it would have been he is still further agonizing okay. one of the beauties of that finish line shot is never mind the sprint that unfolds and how dominant Pedersen was and it was a dominant win actually um, but uh, never mind that look to the left and watch Simon Clark and Demarkey you know let go and and uh, I think it's first Clark reaches out to Demarkey puts a hand on his back and then Demarkey uh, reciprocates the gesture and it's beautiful to watch, actually, um, because they put on a hell of a show. Not least, Matt, we could reenact our commentary for you and me from um, the sudden point where they turned right inside the final ten k and had to bunny hop over a traffic island. Can you remember our commentary? I think it went one, two, three. Oh! Oh! <laughs> That's Tom Pickock eat your heart out, I think. I said. <laughs> but they were
1: super. boom and then everybody else missed it, apart from, well, Geraint, Thomas on shipped his chain. I wonder if he clipped it and that, that flipped the chain off. But that was a, there was a replay, so that's probably going to end up clipped on social media a little bit later, I'd imagine. But that was a sketchy moment, and uh, it was some pretty sketchy terrain, wasn't it? It's been, I think it's fair to say it's been a been a super entertaining race, but um, very stressful for the riders as well.
0: Uh, I would imagine so. Yeah, it's not been straightforward or easy, um, especially ahead of like a huge day tomorrow, which is the Grand Sasso d'Italia Pass. We've got some good old history to delve into tomorrow on tomorrow's pod, I think. But yeah, um, I won't
1: give anything away. But um, Ned's yeah. done some. Yeah, it, I mean, you discovered. We won't talk about the story, but it's. Yeah, please do listening because it's a. It's it's astonishing,
0: isn't it? I think so. I hinted at it the other day, but I think I could do a little bit more reading in the morning. Um, a lot of people know it much better than me, so you're a very well educated. Um, uh, podcast audience, so I don't want to insult your intelligence, but I, I'm I'm on a journey of discovery. As as I am at every bike race wherever I go, this is one of the great privileges. And, and another thing I wanted to talk about was since we're on a road and I'm stuck behind this big lorry at the moment, um, I have to thank um, I have to thank uh, the cycling podcast for sort of like flagging it up actually because um, it was it was the preview pod. That I was listening to, to the Giro d'Italia, which featured an interview with uh, Professor John Foote of Bristol University, mm-hmm. who's a um, very good author, has written books about the Giro d'Italia, knows his Italian 20th century history inside out, and he was talking about how Italy has this a, a quite bit specific relationship with love for the motor car, and it's always had it, you know, they've got the famous brands, haven't they, the you know the sports cars, etc., and the Fiat, and, you know, this kind of like and it persists to this day that this is a this is a petrolhead country and it's reflected and i'd never really stopped and thought about it until john started speaking about it on the pod it's reflected in the just the absolute complexity and extent of their network of roads they love roads in italy and to some extent they've ruined parts of their beautiful countryside by excessive road building There,
1: there is there are a lot of roads i this morning, when I went out on my bike uh, in Napoli, I and obviously it's a, it's a big city, it's an enormous conurbation. But I, I uh, zoomed zoomed out on Google Maps, and, and I just was just like bewildered. And I thought, oh my god! But there, it's not just the amount of roads; it's the amount of different ways you can get to the same place. From it, we, we were when we went up to the uh, the finish the other day, when. Uh, Paris-Pintre won the stage, um, and we we didn't get lost, but we we were just bemused by the amount of different roads to the same place. Um, so we got lost on several occasions, but every alternative route on Google Maps said similar ETA. And that and then then we descended after the finish down this old road that that looked unused and it was almost being reclaimed by nature. But um, yet yeah, it, it it does fit. They they just there are roads everywhere, even in the remote most remote parts, and. I mean, you run most days, I, I try to ride most days, and, and there's, especially when we're out in the sticks in the countryside, you can go for half an hour, 20 minutes without seeing a vehicle, um, even though they love their vehicles, they've almost made that many roads you can almost go and just
0: get lost. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely true. But it got me thinking about the origins of, um, of road cycling, you know? For the book I've been writing, that's coming out in the next month, in the 1923 book, I've spent a lot of time kind of delving into the, the you know, way earlier than that, late 19th century origins of the sport, uh, which eventually in 1903 produced the Tour de France, and then a few years after that, the Giro d'Italia, etc. And uh, you know, if you take the example of Italy, and I'm sure what was going on in Italy is mirrored with what I know about what was happening in France. Um, the there was no contradiction in some ways between the world of motorsport and this new world of racing bicycles, you know. It was it was part of the same uh, expression for the desire for speed and distance, you know, at the beginning of the, the late very late 19th century, early 20th century, it was, you know, and it's no coincidence that the Tour de France was, you know, the, the newspaper that founded the Tour de France was Lotto, you know. It used to be called Lotto Velo until the um, Velo newspaper sued them <laughs> and they had to drop the Velo from there. But I suppose what I'm saying is that um, one of the reasons why Italy historically has been an absolute powerhouse, um, a cultural, you know, sun at the center of the cycling universe, is because I think of Italians' love affair for the car and road building because I think the two go hand in fist. I think, you know, without, the, without roads, without tarmac, without the gravel before tarmac, without people cutting roads into mountains, there is no road racing. And you have, in Italy, you have um, the passion for the motor car, to thank for that. So, I mean, I, cars are an amazing tool to get from A to B. We couldn't do the Giro d'Italia without them. I, I don't like cars at all. Um, but you have to acknowledge, I think, the, the shared ancestry uh, of the two strands, which have moved, you know, very far apart in some ways as well. But um, anyway, that's it's just a ruminative thought that uh, you know developed itself from listening to what what John said. I thought it was very interesting, and he's right. There's lots of roads in Italy. There are lots of
1: roads in Italy, and that, and although there are places that we we revisit, I mean, and collectively me and Ned have done, you know, a lot of Giro d'Italia, a lot of Giro and uh, and there's we're, we're always finding new roads i mean it's obviously it's a big country um, but would you ned would you in a different life would you like to plan routes i mean given the the, the amount of roads that are on off here i mean with being a route planner for the giro given just what you given what you just talked about what a what an extraordinary opportunity to explore the network of roads and to celebrate it through cycling. Um, but the, the, they were made for the motor car in the first place. I mean, it's just amazing. Just looking now, we've where are we? We're, we're essentially going up a valley. It's a big main arterial road we're going through a valley. We've got hills, mountains either side, uh, forested mountains and hills. The sun's nearly setting. There's, it's kind of twilight, really. But there's towns, villages. There's another one just over there, nestled on the top of a hill. I mean the roads to get there but <Veterans> when you look at them we were talking about how ridiculous um and how marvelous the engineering is and, and the architecture to get houses on the on the Adelphi coast but there's roads too and it's um what a lovely way to celebrate that than the Giro d'Italia yeah the Amalfi coast
0: Amalfi coast what, what did the, I say Adelphi,
1: Adelphi. <laughs> Adelphi. <laughs> Adelphi. 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 what that's a hotel isn't it yes, a hotel in Liverpool.
0: I yeah. yeah I
1: think it is I've stayed <laughs> there on the milk race it's awful
0: Oh, it's sorry, absolutely I don't, no. Yeah, oh, I, we, I, I wonder if yeah. No, I mean, it's it Terrible hotel. It needs think. a bit of work. Needs a bit of work. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever stayed in the Britannia Hotel in Manchester Piccadilly as well?
1: Yes, I have. Um,
0: That's a similar vein, isn't I it?
1: I wasn't over. Milk Race stayed there at the Milk <laughs> Race. Yeah, <laughs> of course, course I did. You did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, barely a, a day doesn't go by without Milk Race stories.
1: Yeah. I've got, 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 so a, got a story about that, but I can't, I can't, it can't go on the pod.
0: What about the Britannia Hotel? no it can't
1: no, i can't get you Can't get on the pod no it really can't and it won't <laughs> 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 i'll tell you later okay. uh, and then you can tell me if we can put it on the pod okay but yeah. uh, no uh wow yeah. Yeah. we're what we're we now 79 k's from our hotel 51 minutes of driving and uh, it's been a long old transfer i think we've got a bit of a drive in the morning but the first proper rendezvous and the first real test of andres lechnesen's uh, ability um, in the big hills
0: and i've just seen while we've been talking as well that i've had two messages from charlie quarterman and i'm hoping that one of them is a is a, uh, a voice note message that i'll put in uh, tomorrow's pod but in the meantime david miller's having dinner with some posh friends in girona we've got a long drive still ahead of us um no update with david miller uh, this evening at the end of, which is why we've put quite a bit of race analysis into this section of the pod not all not all of it um you know um not perhaps so a little bit more race analysis than we sometimes do you and me Matt um, but I, that's not a problem. it's, not, it's not a problem
1: it's what I, I love it I love it when we go tangential um, and although sometimes well these days are long and um, I do like to get crawling to my bed at the end of it after a lovely meal and a nice glass of wine but wow what a job we've got mate talking about something that we love doing and trying to get across and trying to not that we're right but trying to break down the, the beautiful complexities of this sport um, and uh, yeah, it's it's alright isn't it, it's a privilege mate and here we are driving, passing through a tunnel a long tunnel lots of tunnels around here, lots of tunnels on the stage tomorrow, don't think we're on the course but yeah, it's uh,
0: it's not a bad job is it it's not and I'd just like to finish by asking you this question which two Italian I think it was just two, alright no, I'll hedge my bets, name two Italian riders who finished in the top 10 today?
1: Um, the, the Mali yep.
0: uh,
1: Jonathan Milan, yep. and Vincenzo Albanese.
0: Vincenzo Albanese.